You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning. Glad you're here. Glad to see the students are back with us. If you haven't noticed, they're back, and we are extremely glad you guys bring so much energy, and and, uh, so many of you are so faithful to God in this church, and God uses you in incredible ways. We're glad you're back. And uh, just excited every time you guys walk through the door. So um, today we are starting a new series. The name of the series is called Game Time, as you just saw. And the thought behind this series is that in the Bible, the kingdom of heaven is referred to as a pearl of great price. It's referred to uh, as uh, the a treasure in a field that's worth selling everything you have in order to attain it. Um, and so we were thinking about that. And as I thought through that, one of the things that really hit me is that many times um, we go after other prizes. And yet the greatest prize that we could go after is Christ himself, is Jesus. And we want to spend uh, every Sunday, but especially the next few Sundays, really focusing in on what this looks like, what it means for Jesus to be the prize of our life, what it means for him to be, as we're going to look at today, the bread of life for us. And so if you have your Bibles, we'll be in John chapter 6. You can turn in your Bibles there. You can turn on your phones. You can turn on your iPads, whatever it is that you use to follow along with the Scripture. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. We would do that at our guest services table after the service, and we'd love to be able to give you a Bible. When I look out and I see you guys on your phones, uh, whether you are or not, I just pretend that you're just looking at scripture and taking notes. So if you're texting, I just kind of write that off and, and I'm like, man, look, they're taking notes. I must be doing a really good job. And so, uh, but as you find that, we'll be in John chapter six. I do want to say why you find that and while we get ready, uh, that today we are doing baptisms at 1230 at Splash in the Borough. And I would love for you to come and join us there. We're going to have some food. Um, it's going to be extra special, awesome pizza uh, that you can come and eat with us. Sorry, nothing uh, really extravagant there, but uh, there's a lot of y'all. And so um, we're going to feed you and and, uh, then celebrate baptisms. At Connection Church, baptism is our way of celebrating the fact that you have put your faith in Christ and you're trusting him as your Lord and Savior. Um, It's an outward uh, demonstration. It's symbolic of an inward faith and reality that's happened in your life. And so we love it. We talk about going from death to life. We do want to be clear. uh, It's not the water that saves you. It's faith in Jesus that saves you. And this is a celebration of the fact that you have put your faith in him. And so we hope that many of you will turn out and come celebrate that with us. In fact, if you're here today and you're being baptized, would you just raise your hand up high that we could see that and celebrate? There's one down here, a few over here. That's awesome, yeah. It's always an encouraging time, a great time when we get to celebrate that and celebrate what Jesus is doing in our church. And so uh, anyway, let's turn to John chapter six. We'll get going. Um, I wanna read to you the first 15 verses and then we're going to talk about those a little bit and then we'll go through some of the other scripture in this text. But John chapter six, verse one, it says this, sometime after this, this is after Jesus's healing of the man who'd been an invalid for 38 years and after his uh, conflict with uh, the the Jewish people, the Jewish uh, rulers. Um, And so sometime after this, it says Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him. And this is important because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. 
And because this Jewish Passover feast was near, it was a, it was a, a feast season, um, there were just tons of people in the area who have come back. Part of the Jewish requirement was for every man, uh, every Jewish man would have to attend uh, three festivals a year. And one of those festivals is the Passover feast. All right, verse five, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Now, Philip was sort of the bean counter of the uh, disciples. He was the one who always looked to uh, figure it out, right? And so Jesus intentionally asked him, how are we gonna feed these people? Philip would have probably been the OCD guy who's counting heads and trying to figure it all out. How many of you would say that you would fall into that category? You try to make sure everything's right and, and the person next to you is going, yeah, 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 you know, and, and don't elbow them, don't hurt them, it's, it's okay. And we need people like you because if everybody was like the person next to you, then nothing would be in order, correct? And so what we see is Philip is this kind of person. Uh, he, he's counting everything. And so Jesus says this, he asks this only to tell test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. So Philip's already calculated this in his head. It would take eight months wages just to give him one piece of bread, right? Just to give him one piece, some one bite. And another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother spoke up. He said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? I've always tried to picture in my head when Andrew takes this little boy's lunch, what that's like. I mean, did Andrew have a heart or what? I mean, he just grabs his lunch and he's like, here, Jesus, little boy's probably kicking and screaming and putting up a fuss. And then there's Andrew, just the big bully fisherman taking, uh, taking his lunch from him. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had had enough to eat, he said to, the, to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is, listen to this, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force. So they're trying to make Jesus this political ruler who would free them from Roman oppression, who would set them free. Um, they, they, they try to make him king by force, withdrew again, Jesus did, to a mountain by himself. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for your heart for us today. Thank you that you are here today as we gather in your name for your purposes, for uh, God, what you have in mind. God, let this not be about our agenda, but let it be about your agenda. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts today. Let this message come with power, Lord Jesus. Uh, let it come and move us closer to you and open our eyes and our hearts that we would see you as we look upon you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you have a tendency to get overwhelmed easily? Anybody get, get a little emotional easily, a little overwhelmed easily? Um, I, that's how I am. I had this happen to me yesterday. If you've been around here very long, then you, uh, you know that I, I like to hunt, right? And uh, so yesterday I go hunting. It's hard for me not to just say like hunting, um, but I went hunting. Uh, it doesn't even feel right. But uh, I went hunting with uh, my two older boys, um, 
And uh, so I'm, I'm walking through the woods with Jackson, who's my eight-year-old, and uh, it's going to be a great day, right? Um, and so we're walking through the woods. Well, pretty soon we end up in a place that is like so thick with briars that we could hardly walk. I don't know if you know this, but briars and eight-year-olds don't mix well. Um, and so Jackson is literally walking through the woods, looking at, I think, every briar that could possibly come in contact with him. When I say looking at them, I, I mean, seriously, like this. I turned around one time and he was doing this like moving them one at a time out of the way. And I'm trying to walk and he's just kind of like, there goes one briar, there goes another. And he's just walking through. And so we're, we're moving along at a snail's pace, which for me, I'm not a slow paced person. It's driving me crazy. And so there's frustration number one. Frustration number two comes when we hit water and it's about 30 degrees and the water is deeper than the boots we have on and I get wet. And I, so, so now I'm frustrated because I'm wet and then he gets wet and then he begins to whine about being wet. And then I turn around and he falls into the water. <laughs> He's like, I'm like, I fell. I'm like, get up, right? I mean, it's like, I know, I, I see that. And so and finally he gets up, we keep moving. Well, at this hunting club, that hunting club that I'm a part of, uh, we use two-way radios so we can communicate with each other. Well, we're walking through the water, wading through the water. And I finally realized that my radio is gone. It was $200. That's a lot of money to me. And so I'm, 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 I'm then even more frustrated. And so I say, Jackson, stay here. I'm going back to get my radio. I'm gonna go try to find this, although it's probably a foot underwater. I go back and I begin to look. I never left further than from where I am to the back of the auditorium. And it was like, he could communicate all the time, all the time with me by doing this, daddy, that's how we, which is always good for the deer hunting uh, when you can yell and scream at each other. And so he's like, daddy. And I'm like, what? And he's like, where you at? I'm like, right here. I mean, he's like, I don't have an address. I'm just here. Just I'm where my voice is. I don't know how to tell you. I'm by this big tree. I, I didn't know what to tell him. And so I'm, I'm going along and, and I don't find the radio. And then I get back and as I approach him, I can hear him crying. Oh, that wasn't what I was saying. I was like, are you serious? What are you crying about? I was scared. And he's like, an alligator was gonna get, I'm like, there's no alligator. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh man. And so anyway, the shorter the longest, but I was so frustrated. There were words that came to mind that I wanted to say that I had to repent of because I couldn't say them, especially with an eight year old. And it was just, I was just frustrated. I wanted to hit a gun up beside a tree and then that's not good to hit a loaded gun up against a tree. It's just not a good thing. And so I was just really having a difficult time and I was just amazed again at how easy it is for me to become overwhelmed. And it was a situation I knew I would get out of. I knew there was light at the end of the tunnel. I knew I would get through it, but it was a situation that wasn't pleasant. It was, it was overwhelming to me. I mean, literally I was like this by the time this whole two or three hour ordeal was over. And, 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 and I know, I believe that probably many of you have been there. Um, I, I think maybe many of us find ourselves there almost on a daily basis, just feeling overwhelmed. Um, I know that many of us are in here in this place today with a situation that's much more overwhelming than hunting with an eight-year-old, although that can be intense. Um, and, 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 and here's the thing I, I want you to see today. I want you to have hope in this, that, that even when we find ourselves in 
these overwhelming situations, even in the day-to-day life, that God still gives us grace. He still has a plan. He still has a way for us to live in victory over these situations. Um, Here's what I find to be typically our pattern. Most of the time, this is how we deal with overwhelming situations, even day-to-day life. This is what we do. We look at the circumstances around us, what we're facing. Um, Then we look at the resources that we have and then we come to a place of despair, of, of, of hopelessness and of feeling overwhelmed. And typically we either quit or we just sort of internally give up. Anybody else do that? Like that's our, kind of our nature is, is to kind of think that way rather than looking to Jesus rather than the circumstances, looking at the resources that he has to provide for us in our circumstances and situation And then allowing that to bring us to a place of persevering in faith. See, for me, that is typically and unfortunately not my first choice usually. My first choice is usually the same choice that Peter or that Philip made. What did Philip do? He he began to count and try to figure it out on his own. How many of us are our own worst enemy because we try to figure it out on our own? Right. Uh, And this Jesus even says that he did this to test him. And see, here's a a little word of encouragement for you. And in this overwhelming situation that Philip finds himself in, one of the things that's really awesome in this is that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Isn't that cool? You're like when when Philip is counting heads and he's doing all these numbers, God is sitting there going, I got a plan. I got a plan. And see, God has a plan for your situation. Some of you, for you, your, your overwhelming situation may be starting a new semester, right? And so that new semester um, is, is already weighing on your heart. And, and, and here's when it really starts to hit you is when you go to class for the first day and they start handing out the, the syllabus for each class and you look at it and you're like, I gotta do all this. I'm not gonna make it. You could be like in your eighth semester and you still have that feeling of like, this is never gonna work. Here's another word of encouragement to you. I made it, you will too, okay? I mean, that, that's how I know you can make it. But, but the thing is, we get overwhelmed easy. It may be over, being overwhelmed at work. It may be overwhelmed with a lack of work. It may be overwhelmed in your marriage. It may be overwhelmed uh, with your children. Uh, we find ourselves overwhelmed many times. The good news is that God has a plan. In fact, he says in here, uh, the Bible tells us that he asked him this question to test him, to test him. And this is huge because what was the test? The test was this, and this is a test that you and I face every day, every second of our lives. Would he look to himself for the answer or would he look to Jesus? That's the question that we have to answer every moment of every day. Will I look to Jesus for the answer or will I look to myself? Typically, as I said, we look to ourselves. And so Jesus performs this miracle. He shows him, look, Philip, here's the reality. I'm the one you need to be looking to. I've already done all these other miracles. And why is it that your first thing, your first thought is not to look to me, but to look to what you can do? Why is it that for most, all of us in here, for every one of us in here, God has done so much in our lives and yet we tend to want to look to ourselves rather than to him, right? I, it's just our nature. It seems to be our tendency, but we've got to be uh, intentional in our pursuit of him so that we can then um, begin to come to a place where that is our first inclination is I'm pursuing him. I'm looking to him to meet my need. I'm looking to him for this solution. I'm looking to him to the, for the answer of life. 
not to myself. And so I want you to see in this, as Jesus demonstrates this to them in a physical way, Jesus wants to use this miracle um, to begin to teach them a very significant spiritual um, lesson. Okay, in all of the miracles that you see in the book of John, he, he typically calls them signs. And the reason he calls them signs is because he doesn't want you to stop at the miracle and be like, wow, Jesus multiplied bread. He wants you to go beyond the miracle and look at the one that the miracle or the sign points to. A sign leads us to something else. That's what John is trying to get us to see here. That's what Jesus is about to teach us. Um, just for the sake of time, we're going to skip verses 16 through 24. All that happens there is Jesus walks on water. So we're just going to skip that. And uh, nothing significant. Um, and, and we're just going to skip over that and get to the, where, what they would call the discourse of this sign, this miracle, this wonder that Jesus did, because I want you to see this. See, see, Jesus was telling them and wanting them to see that there's a greater problem that every one of us face, that each one of us have, and it's not our physical need. Those physical needs scream out loudly. It's not those physical needs. It's a deeper spiritual need that we all need to have met. And many times, this is what happens in life. Our physical needs, the physical things around us, even, listen, our physical abundance begins to become an anesthetic to our heart and our need for God. So that what Jesus is trying to get them to see is that there's a greater need than what you are coming to me for now. So listen to verse 25. It says this, when they found him on the other side of the lake, Jesus had crossed over, walked most of the way, then he got in the boat. On the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Here's I want to set this up. I want to give you some things and some ways that they, because they were so attached to the material world, that they missed it, okay? That they didn't comprehend what was really taking place. The first one in this is that they misunderstood, they missed Jesus's identity, okay? Do you remember, I told you it was going to be important when we were reading that first section of scripture. Do you remember what they called Jesus? They said, surely this is the prophet. But when we get over here to verse 25, what do they call him? Rabbi. And rabbi was still a, a word that you would use for respecting someone, a, a great teacher. That was great. But what was the first word they used? It was prophet. And they thought that Jesus was the one who was going to come and save them from Roman oppression. That's what they wanted. But when Jesus didn't do what they wanted, what did they do? They lowered his status. And they said, he's a great teacher, but evidently he's not the one to come because he didn't do this. How many of us have rejected or turned away from God simply because he didn't do what we thought he should do? How many of us have, have said no to Jesus because maybe it was a prayer that we didn't get answered? Guess what? Here's the thing. We talked about this last week. If you want to, to, to look at this deeper, go back and listen to last week's message. But here's the reality, God is good, God is sovereign, and God is faithful all the time. He doesn't know how to be. He cannot be good, sovereign, and faithful because that is who he is. And because we know those three things, we can trust him. 
But many times life tries to throw us off kilter and we get to this place where we confuse the identity of Jesus. See, Jesus is not our homeboy. He is not some uh, cosmic Santa Claus who just gives us what we want. He is the God of the universe who has a good and perfect plan that he is working out, not in, only in your life, but in the life of everyone around you. And so even your rejection of God can be used by God to work out his plan. Nothing surprises God. That's why it's so encouraging to see that God already had in mind what he was gonna do in this miracle. See, when your sin came into the world and when the sin of the very first people came into the world, God already had a plan. He already had in mind what he was going to do. And what he was going to do is send his son Jesus to a cross. Even though he was innocent, he would become a curse. Even though he had no sin, he would become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So that all who would put faith in him would come to life, eternal life, meaning not when you die, you come to life, but at the moment that we come to faith in Christ, the moment we look upon the son of God and we say yes to his invitation, we come to true life, not just existing in a world that is broken and hurting, but coming to life in a world. And then we see it through the lens of hope rather than despair, because we know we have a God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever think or imagine. So they misunderstood the identity of Jesus. Many times we do the same thing. Verse 26 says this, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. The other thing that they missed was they missed their own spiritual hunger. He's saying, you're not coming after me because I'm God. You're not coming after me because I can, I can satisfy the deepest needs in your heart and the deepest longings of your life. You're coming after me because I satisfied one little physical need. Don't you know I created everything physical and tangible around you? Why does that impress you so much? Why don't you come to me, the author of life, to give you life? And they, they completely miss their spiritual hunger. And how many of us fall into that same category where we miss the spiritual hunger? It's in our own hearts that life has somehow become an anesthetic to this need for God. This need for Jesus. We'll even try to cover it up where there's uh, drugs, prescription drugs, where there's alcohol, where there's relationships. Uh, see, many, many times these desires that we have, we misinterpret the desires in our heart. And we need to see that there's a spiritual hunger that can only be satisfied in Jesus. Verses 27 through 29. He says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life which the son of man will give you. On him, God the father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The third thing that they miss, the third thing that they misinterpret, the third thing that the material world had blinded them to is their purpose, their purpose in life. See, Jesus is telling them, why are you toiling? Why are you working? Why are you so worried about things that don't last? Why is it that your whole life is driven by these material things that in a hundred years aren't gonna matter? Why is it that, 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 listen, you know, a thousand years from now, none of it's going to exist and yet we live as though our eternity depends on it. Why are you so focused on these are the things that Jesus is saying, don't work for this stuff that doesn't last. And they ask him this question, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus looks at them and he says, 
Belief. Belief. And see, here's the thing. Jesus isn't telling us that we don't work for the kingdom. He's telling us what's most important. Because here's what's most important is that first you believe and then you work for the kingdom. Most of the time in our American Christianity, this is what we do. We work hoping that we might believe. Or we work hoping that God would accept us. And that just, just to put it plain, it just sucks, right? That, 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 that this working for approval, this working to hope that God can, will, will somehow accept us, it, it doesn't work. All our works don't work. And so we spend our lives toiling for something either that is not gonna last or toiling for something that will, we cannot possibly hope to gain. But we keep on working and Jesus says, this is the work of God, believe. Believe in the one he sent. Believe in the one who came for the sick, not those who are, are healthy and don't need a doctor. Believe in the one who can save anyone. Believe in the one who calls the prostitute out of prostitution and into a life of God. Believe in the one who heals an invalid for 38 years, who had been sick for 38 years. Believe in the one who takes the, the crackhead and then ends up putting him on staff in a church. Believe in the one who, who can take the, the prescription addict and change his life around. Just look upon the sun and believe. If there's one thing you leave here today with, it would be this. Look upon the sun for life. Don't look to all these other things. Look to the sun, the son of God, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the author and perfecter of life so that you can live. Jesus would have us believe. And then yes, we work for the kingdom, but we don't work so that we can be accepted. We work because of what he's done in our hearts. Verse 30 through 39, he says, so they asked him, it's like they changed the subject. They're like, we really don't understand that. So let's ask another question. You know what I'm saying? It's like, so they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? You see how shallow this is? Jesus just fed 5,000 people but they don't want to do what he's saying. So they're like, well, give us a miraculous sign. See, the problem is not signs. The problem is not miracles. The problem is not wonders. The problem is unbelieving hearts. That's the problem that Jesus is trying to get to. He's trying to reveal their spiritual unbelief. He's trying to show them their deepest need. And so uh, show us a sign, we'll believe you. What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And what they don't realize is they're just, they're, they're, Jesus just gave them bread, right? A miracle from heaven, bread. And then they're saying, if you could do this, we'd believe you. He's like, I already did it. And then Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It's not Moses who's given you bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. And, and, and he's trying to show them, look, if, look at me, look at me, look, look at me. Not, not, not like me, but Jesus saying that to them to look at him, right? And so he's trying to get them to see it's me. The true bread is me, the one the father sent down from heaven. Don't you see that the manna in the desert was a foreshadowing of what God was going to do through me? And so verse 33 says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Still just dull as they could be, right? Give us this bread. 
And they're thinking like the woman at the well, when Jesus said he'd give her living water, they're like, oh, and she was like, oh, I wouldn't have to come back and draw water. You know, this, now they're thinking, give us this bread. We'll never have to eat again. Our grocery bill will go down. You know how much money I could save if, if we could just eat one time? Even just one time a day would be good. I got, I got three boys and me and, and Susan, and, and it's like, whoo, I wish we could eat one time. And they're thinking this. They're thinking this, this would take so much of our problems away if, if, if it's, we could just have this bread. And then Jesus declares, and he tries to make it as plain as he can, I am the bread of life. And it's the first of the seven I am statements of Jesus declaring that he is God. It says, he who comes to me will never go thirst or hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And he's saying, in other words, listen, you might reject me, you might not believe, but all that the Father calls, they're gonna come. And so here's where you are today. If you're, 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 you're being obstinate to God and you're rejecting God, you're not gonna get away from God. You can't go anywhere and get away from him. That call, that pull, that tug on your heart is still gonna be there. He says, but as I told you, you see me, all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven, not to try to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. In other words, there are people that my father's going to bring to me. Once they're brought to me, I'm gonna love them. I'll never drive them away from me. Nothing else is ever gonna take them away from me. In other words, you can trust me. I'll take care of you. I'll be your God. You'll be my people and look to me, trust me. He says, and in the end, I'll raise them up on the last day. In other words, I'll have, they'll have eternal life. And so in this, the last thing that I would tell you that they missed is that they missed the greatest blessing of all. And that's God's grace and his mercy that he sent to us in Jesus Christ. In other words, they missed the point of the whole thing. But how many times do we miss the point? How many times do we miss it? How many times do we confuse Jesus's identity? So many of us look at Jesus more as some um, just uh, cruel taskmaster who just makes us do things we don't wanna do rather than our savior and Lord who loves us and does only good things in our lives. So many times his identity gets confused. So many times, as I said earlier, we misinterpret our own desires. So you all have this desire for significance in our life. Nobody wants to feel small. Everybody wants to feel they have significance. And the reality of it is that many of us will do anything we can to have that significance. We'll go in debt to see if we can have that significance. We'll, we'll, we'll change our personality or attempt to, to try to have that significance. We'll do all kinds of things to try to have significance. Uh, another one is security. Many times we, we, we want security in our lives. And so we'll do a lot of things. We'll grab hold of relationships that aren't healthy. We'll stay in relationships that aren't healthy. We'll go after things that we think are going to make us secure and all of that is an attempt to, to try to replace something that God wants to give us with something man-made we, we, we look for this desire for companionship and we let it drive us to places that we don't need to be we, we take this desire for sex and we confuse it with a desire for acceptance and so we, we just go to bed with whoever we just do whatever with whoever we have affairs we go to other places we look to other things outside of the covenant that God has given us to try to find these things and the reality of it is we never find them many of us we don't wake up until, until our life is being destroyed 
until the anesthetic wears off and the hurt finally gets so bad that we realize there's got to be something more. I can't sustain me. These things can't sustain me. Then who can sustain me? Maybe there is a God after all. But why do we get to that point? Maybe, maybe, and God doesn't mind us coming to him in desperate situations, even when we've caused them. That's okay. But maybe before we get there, God's design and his will would be that we would begin to do his will before the destruction rather than after. To save us from the destruction rather than having to walk through it. And I know, listen, sometimes God allows it because he's got this part. I understand that. But what I'm telling you is how long are we going to make stupid decisions to try to fill a void in our heart that no one but Jesus can fulfill? I see it week after week after week after week in my office, uh, in in this church where we, we just make bad decisions because we're trying to fulfill something that cannot be fulfilled anywhere else. So they miss the greatest blessing of God's grace. They missed their purpose. They missed everything. They missed, they were missing the point. And it brings us back to this test. Like, listen, if we're missing it, if we're missing it, here's the choice. Are we going to look to Jesus? Are we going to look to ourselves? Are we going to look to Jesus? Are we going to look to what we can do? That's the question. And the answer is in verse 40. Listen, this is what Jesus tells them. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus gives us two things. He says, look to the son. And again, he says, believe. Look to the son and believe. What's the answer to the test of who will you look to? You look to the son. What's the answer when you're feeling anxiety and you're, and you're stressed and, and you feel you have no joy and peace and, and love in your life? You look to Christ. What's the answer when you need companionship and yet there's not a healthy relationship to be had? You look to Jesus. What's the answer when you need significance in your life and you feel like you don't matter? You feel like if you disappeared, nobody would really care. In fact, somebody might be happy that you disappeared. You look to Jesus who says, your life is so significant that I gave my life to save it. What happens when you need security in your life and you wonder how's this gonna turn out? Am I okay in and of myself? Am I, am I all right? Sometimes it's just good to hear somebody go, you're all right. And then you go, well, I knew I was all right. How'd you know? Well, cause God told me I'm all right. That's how I know I'm all right. But that security is found in him. See, all of those things are good things. Even sex is a good thing. It's not a bad thing, but it has to be built on the foundation of Christ and within the context from which he lays it out. And then it begins to help give us life rather than destroying life. But we've got to come to that place of recognizing and of looking and believing in Christ so much so that it begins to direct our life. And I want you to think about what that means. What does it mean when we read this in this text? And he says, look, look to the son of man. What does it mean to look to God? Well, think about what it means to look to anything else. First thing I thought about when I started thinking about that is it means you're interested, right? Typically when I look at something, like I'm looking at you because I'm interested in you, right? I'm interested in how you're hearing. I'm interested in how you're seeing. I wanna look at your faces and know, are you getting this? I'm interested because I'm interested in your spiritual well-being because I love you with the love of God. I want you to get it. And so I'm looking. When we look at things, there's something that we're interested in. Uh, You hear a horn blow, you look. Why? Because you're interested in not getting run over, right? 
And so we look to things that we're interested in. Are you looking to Christ because you have some interest? Listen, here's just a, it sounds harsh. It's not meant to be harsh. It's meant to be something we can check ourselves with. But when you, do you have an interest in God other than a selfish agenda? Because if not, here's what we need to do. We need to check and see if we have a relationship with God. You know, the most interesting man in the world, commercials like, wouldn't you like to meet that dude? I mean, seriously. Well, how could you meet the God of the universe and not be interested in him? And so we need to check that and see. Number two, and when we look at something, it means we're giving it our attention. How many of you hate to talk to people when they don't look you in the eye? That drive you crazy? And I'm not talking about like you got to do it the whole time. Like you... That just gets weird. Sometimes I'm like, blink, blink. Is he dead? Is he alive? What are they doing? But then the person that just does like this the whole time, that gets on your nerves too. And then the person that gets in your personal space, you're like, back up, little eye contact is good. I don't have to smell your breath. You know what I'm saying? It's like, but it drives me crazy. And then parents, think about this. You want, you want people's attention when you're talking to them. You want to know they're listening. I mean, parents, you do this. You tell your children, look at me when I'm talking to you. And then you go, don't look at me like that. Right? <laughs> you ever done that? Look at me, don't look at me like that. And then it's like, uh, you know, you, you, because you wanna know they're listening. See, look, when we look to Jesus, it means we're giving him our attention. We're giving him who we, we are. We're saying, look, I'm listening. It's almost as if we're looking to God and saying, God, what do we do next? You know, that's the Christian life in a nutshell. We look unto Jesus and we say, what do we do next? And it's that constant communion, that great privilege that God's given us through his son. When Jesus says, look to the son and believe. Another thing that I think about when we look at the word look is that it denotes a direction. It denotes a direction. Like nobody spends all of their life walking backwards, right? That would be troublesome, right? I couldn't get off the stage walking backwards and not looking. And so it denotes a direction. And see, when you're willing to go a direction, what that means is that you're willing to follow. See, a disciple of Christ is not somebody that goes, well, I said a prayer one day and, and that, was, that was good. And that was when I was four. And I really, you know, and, and it's not just saying a prayer, it's becoming a disciple, which means becoming a follower of Christ. It means that you go a direction. It means that you no longer pursue sin and go after sin. You're gonna turn direction and become after Jesus. That happens when we look to Jesus, we see Jesus, and then we say yes to him. Meaning this, that faith has come, repentance turning from sin has come. And so that faith being uh, our belief in who he says he is and and what he has done and what he will do, um, as well as faith also being our trust in him as Savior and Lord. See, many of us love to grab hold of this Savior part of Jesus, but there's a lordship of our life that we surrender to him. And we give him the lordship of our life. Think about this. How many of you think, as we talked about earlier with the little boy and his lunch, how many of you think he was happy about the fact that, that, that Andrew took his lunch? I mean, this is what I would have been like. And probably even at the age of eight or whatever this kid, I don't know how old he was, but at whatever age he was, probably at that age, I would have still been like, you mean I don't get to eat lunch because of their poor planning. I brought my lunch and now I'm going to have to go without lunch because they didn't bring one. Are you kidding me? I wouldn't have just been like, yeah, have my lunch. It's okay, especially not as a kid. My gosh, talking about selfish. Yeah, yeah, I would have, I would have pitched a fit. And yet on the backside of this, after we see what happens, do you think that he regretted them taking his lunch? 
No, his lunch wasn't that good anyway. It was basically a meal for the, 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 the poor like Galileans. It wasn't a great meal. But then not only did he get fed, but everybody got fed. Everybody was able to see the miracle. See, here's the thing I can promise you. If you will give Jesus what you have, then you add what he has, it's always enough. But we've gotta be willing to give it. We gotta be willing to let him have it. We gotta be willing to follow. We gotta be willing to go that direction. It's just like in nine o'clock, I'm gonna do it here. You won't be able to see me in the back. At nine o'clock, I jumped off the stage and I was thankful I didn't blow my knee out or something. It was a leap of faith, literally. But I jumped off the stage. Why did I jump? Because I believed that the concrete would catch me. I believed that, that if I went that direction, it was gonna be okay. It was gonna work out. And how it's gonna work out, I'm about 40 years old and things break easier than they used to. But the reality of it is, I felt like I was okay in that. You're sitting in a chair, not because the chair has been good to you other than giving you a cushion for this sermon, right? But because you looked at it and you thought, yeah, it'll hold me. It's the same thing with God. When we look to Jesus and we see who he is, what he's done for us and, and, and what he's promised to do, and we see that he is faithful to do it, he is good, sovereign and faithful, and we can trust him, then we rest the entirety of our life upon him. It means our eternity, our current life, our eternal life that begins at the moment of faith and repentance that go together, all of that begins to take place when we rest our being in Christ. Because I've looked, I saw, and I say, I'm gonna rest myself in him. I'm not, listen, toiling for the things of the world. I, I'm pursuing him. Because what did Jesus say? He said, seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. If I seek Christ and I put what I had, not just saying, I'm just gonna seek Jesus and somehow a check's gonna come to my house. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying, if you'll put what you have and trust what you have to what he has, you'll have enough. He will take care of you. It might not always look like it. It might not always feel like it but this is what I can promise you if you are in Christ the best is yet to come no matter the best is yet to come and so we see this in this direction and see listen when you take the fact that you're interested uh, and, and you're looking to Christ because you're interested, you take the fact that you're looking to Christ and giving him your attention and you take the fact that you're looking to Christ and you're pursuing him and you're following him in this attitude of what next, Jesus, what's next? See, that's the normal Christian life. What's next, Jesus? What's next? What's my next step? It's not just something we say just to try to get you to do stuff. It's the way you live the Christian life. What's my next step? What's my next step, God? And, and you begin to do that. What you begin to see is someone who is intentional in their pursuit of Jesus. You've got my interest, God. You've got my attention, Lord. And God, I'm, I'm, I'm surrendering to follow you because I believe this with all my heart that if I follow you, it's for my good and for your glory. Even when it doesn't feel like it, even when my felt needs and, and my desires are telling me something else, I'm gonna follow you. See, there's no way you can surrender if God just agrees with everything all the time. Surrender means that even when I'm in disagreement with what he says, I'm gonna do what he says. Look, the way we come through overwhelming situations and the way that we overcome the overwhelming situation of our spiritual bankruptcy, which is what we have if we're not in Christ is we look unto Jesus and we simply believe. And when you believe, the Holy Spirit comes in to give you a new heart and to change your life.
and He begins to work that out of you rather than you spending all of your life toiling, trying to work in His forgiveness. We surrender and we say, God, I believe, and He works out our salvation. So that's where we come to today. That's the awesome privilege of having a God who took interest in us. He wasn't even interested. He's not interested in you because you became interested in Him. You became interested in Him because He's interested in you. And so the good news for us is that we have a God who's willing to pursue us, even pursuing us to the point of becoming a curse on the cross because He took our sin and He was punished for our sin. We have a God who is able to transform the worst of situations, who took even the evil that existed on the cross and used it for something good so He can take your situation and do the same thing. We have a God who's willing to step into the circumstances with us, the overwhelming situation with us, and just says, look to me, I'll get you through. When Peter stepped out of the boat, what happened? Peter walked for a little ways and, and, and then he began to sink. It's as if he took his eyes off of Jesus. The waves and the wind began to swirl and he took his eyes off of the one who could keep him afloat. But even when Peter began to sink, what did Jesus do? He reaches down and he grabs his hand and he immediately leads him back to the boat and to safety. I'm telling you people, listen, if you look unto Jesus and believe to the point of letting him be the Lord and savior of your life, things go differently. I'm not telling you they all go perfect. But what I'm telling you is you realize that you're in the hands of a God who even in overwhelming situations can give love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, forgiveness, all of these things that are a part of a relationship with Jesus. They can't be found anywhere else. Our need for significance, security, companionship, all of those things are wrapped up in Christ. He's both the cornerstone that sets the integrity of it and, and, and builds it up strong and supports it. And he's also the capstone that, 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 that sits above everything else in our life. He gives us life. He is the bread of life that has come down from heaven so that we could have life. So today, I just wanna ask you this question first. Where are you at with God? Are you being honest with where you are with God? You don't know how many people I talk to. They've been around church all their lives. They've, they've done all the religious things. They've put on the show. And yet they'll confess freely, I don't know him. I never looked upon the son and said yes to him. But the great news is that God gives us that opportunity. So my question for you is, have you said yes to that invitation? Have you said yes to Jesus and his invitation of forgiveness, his invitation to be a part of his purposes, his invitation to have life in you, his invitation for your life to have a greater purpose in toiling for this material world, but a purpose that, that advances the kingdom of God and brings other people into an eternal salvation. Have you said yes to that? Have you as though, as just as you're sitting in a chair right now, rested the weight of your eternity and the weight of your life upon him? Have you said yes in faith to him? Have you looked upon the son and believed? If you haven't, is God calling you today, drawing you today, the father calling you to himself? Are you sensing that? And your next step, if it is a yes, is to say yes to the invitation. 
I want to ask right now, it takes boldness, it takes courage. If you're new here, you come in today for the first time, this is how we offer this invitation here at Connection Church. We give you an opportunity to stand to your feet and say, yes, I want that relationship. I'm saying yes today to this invitation. And so if you're here today and that would be you, that you know God is knocking on the door of your heart and for the first time you're gonna say yes to Jesus, to salvation, then I'm gonna ask you right now, would you stand to your feet so that we can celebrate with you? This is not something to be ashamed of, this is something to celebrate. Would you stand and say, yes, this is what God's calling me to, my next step to salvation. Would you stand and let us celebrate that with you today? question is this maybe you're facing an overwhelming situation much greater than an eight-year-old deer hunt much greater than uh, than what you're gonna eat for lunch and you just need prayer you just say I, I, I'm having trouble keeping my eyes on Jesus I don't know what's causing that though the worry of a semester the worry of a job the worry of family I, I don't know but today you say, I need prayer. I need, I need prayer that God would strengthen me. I need prayer that people will walk with me to help me keep my eyes focused on Christ. You just need prayer to look unto the sun. I wanna ask you this question. Would you stand and let us pray with you today? We can pray with you and, and just agree with you that in, in, in the things that you face, God's gonna be with you. He's, he's gonna, it's just a reminder that he's with you. Would you stand? Some bad people don't need prayer. Good people don't need prayer. All people need prayer, right? So if you, that's you, you find yourself in that situation. All right, let's pray and let's agree together for these people. Lord, I thank you for your heart for these who stood. God, I, I pray that, God, you would, you would just um, stir up in them your spirit and that Jesus, you would, uh, they would just lock their eyes on you. Just as the, the author of Hebrews said, they would fix their eyes on the author and perfecter of their faith. God, I pray that we would run fast, that we would cast off a sin that so easily entangles and the weight of this world and materialism, and we would just begin to follow you, just to pursue you, God. I know that our circumstances don't always change, but God, you change us in the circumstances. So Jesus, just work in our hearts, work in, work in our lives and show us God, what it is that you have for us. Give us courage to continue to look and continue to follow. Don't let us become discouraged. Let us strengthen ourselves in you as we look and we simply believe and trust, God. Give us faith, God. Give us a gift of faith to walk through these circumstances, these overwhelming situations. We love you. We thank you that you're the God of the universe. Nothing is too big nor too small that is outside of your reach or outside of your care. Thank you, God, that you acknowledge us even to the point of the number of hairs on our head. Go with us, God, and let us be your light in the dark world. Go with us, God, and give us boldness and courage to share the gospel. Go with us, God, and give us courage to invite others to church. Go with us, God, and give us courage to, to just proclaim the great work you've done in our lives. In Jesus' name.